Please turn in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Have you ever felt stuck in something? Mm-hmm. You ever felt stuck in something? Maybe a job? Oh, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to start on a high note. A job, a lease, a relationship. You ever felt stuck in your Christian walk before? Just stagnant? You know, when we talk about, we're going to be talking this morning about moving forward. And when you move forward and leave the past behind, it's the same motion. To move forward, we automatically leave the past behind. And so we're going to pick up in verse 26 of chapter 10 and read through verse 39. For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled on the foot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the spirit of, of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine and I will err. Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It's a terrifying thing. To fall into the hand, hands of the living God. But remember the former days when, you, when after being enlightened you endured a great conflict of sufferings. Partly by being made a, a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations. And partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property. Knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession. In a lasting one. Therefore do not throw away your confidence. Which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance. So that when you have done the will of God. You may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while. He who is coming will come. And will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back. My soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those. Who shrink back to destruction but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And I pray this morning that we will shed all of the things that we've heard and learned on this in the past and that you will speak to us clearly about what you intend and what you are saying here from these verses. And so, Father, I thank you that you are clear. I thank you that you lead us, that you speak to our hearts, that you teach us, that we can look to you as the author and finisher of our faith. And Father, I thank you that there's hope in you. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm. Well, this morning as we discuss moving forward, we're we're going to see a decision that we need to make. We're going to learn a confidence to live by, and we're going to also understand the role of faith. We, this begins with one of the most challenging and, I think, misunderstood verses in Scripture. 
And I have heard sermon after sermon preached on this and mispreached, if you will. Before we jump into that particular verse, we need to go back. We need to go back and ask what Hebrews is about. Hebrews was written to the Jews to tell them that Jesus was greater than the law. Because they were still clinging on to the law. They were still clinging on to what we should do or not do. We, they were, the law was meant to point people to Christ. And so they were holding on to the shadow instead of the one whom it was about. And so we come to this verse this morning of verse 26. Where he says, if we go on sinning willfully... After receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Y'all ever heard that verse before in church? Mm -hmm. Right? Yes. You ever heard it as, well, if you sin after you're saved, then there's no more sacrifice for you. You ever heard that? Mm -hmm. Well, if that's true, then we're all lost. Yeah. Have you ever played that out in your mind? So what on earth is he talking about here? Because people live in fear of this verse. And I'm going to hopefully set you free with the truth this morning. Amen? Amen. Because the truth does set us free. Remember the audience. He was speaking to them who were still holding on to the sacrificial system. He was speaking to people who were holding on to the law. Who are still making sacrifices for their sins. And so what he says here in verse 26. That if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth. There no longer remains a sacrifice. In other words, if we tell you about Christ. And you say no to him. You reject Christ, which is sin. There's no more sacrifice. You can keep on sacrificing, but there's no sacrifice that's going to cover the rejection of Christ that's found in the law. So he says, if you keep that up, there's no more sacrifice for you. And so he's made it plain and clear as we've been studying and come through from Hebrews 1 to hear that Jesus was the sacrifice. And so when he comes to this verse, and as you read it and break it down, if we go on sinning willfully... After receiving the knowledge of the truth. Well the knowledge of the truth is Christ. And if we go on saying no to that. We go on willfully saying rejecting him. There no longer remains a sacrifice. There's no sacrifice you can offer to cover that. That's found in the law. And so he's giving them a decision to make. Listen that's often misapplied. <laughs> This is not talking about Christians. This is talking about Jews who he's presenting the gospel to because they have crucified Christ. We transfer that into a different setting than the context allows. And we've all heard that verse. Because if it's true the way we've heard the sermons, then there's no hope for any of us. Because I don't know about you. Now, I don't. I have the ability to choose to not sin, don't I? Because if I walk in the Spirit, I will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. That's what God's Word says. 
You can't do it. You can't walk in the Spirit and fulfill the desires of the flesh. You can't do it. Do I have the ability to walk in the Spirit? Yes, I do. Sometimes I don't choose that. I don't know about you, but sometimes I don't choose that. And if this verse is true, then I have unforgiven sin. And if I have unforgiven sin, I'm lost. Because when Jesus died for your sins, how many, how many of your sins did he die for? Right? He died for all of our sins. All of our sins from the point of salvation for us? No. All of our sins from birth to death. Because if we're not wiped clean, then we're not, we're not been made righteous. We haven't received the, the blood of Christ that washes us from all sin. That's not... It's, so there's no sin that remains once you come into a relationship with Christ. I actually talked to somebody once and said, well, you still have indwelling sin. I said, then I haven't been saved. If I have indwelling sin... But then I still like sin. This was my argument, but I still like sin. How could that be true? Well, sin is going to please us. Otherwise, it wouldn't tempt us at all. You know, it's funny how the devil showed up to tempt Jesus with food after he'd been fasting. You ever notice that? So he's going to wait until you have a physical reaction or a physical need. And he's going to try and appease that. And so that's what he's talking about here in these verses. But let's watch how it plays out. If you reject Jesus as you read down through this, as you read through it, you'll see how, the, how it ties and contextually that's what he's talking about. If you reject Jesus, you're left with no sacrifice for sin. That's true. If you reject Jesus, you're left with a terrifying expectation of judgment. What's left? Where do we appeal to? What do I have hope in? If I don't choose Jesus Christ, I'm left with the law that never removed sin, ever. It was a covering for sin. And I'm still responsible for that as long as it's there. So a terrifying expectation of judgment... A fire, we're left with a fireman to consume the adversaries. See, hell was never created for us. It was never created for us. When God originally created it. We chose to go there when we fell in the garden. And now we have to choose to walk in a relationship with him. Through salvation. And so he goes on and he gives them a contrast they're familiar with. About setting aside the law of Moses so they can understand what he's saying. He says if you set aside the law of Moses, you die without mercy. See, this is where their hope was. He begins to address their hope. He said if you reject the law of Moses, you die without mercy. And they're like, yeah, that's true. They're, they're connecting with what he's telling them. He's meeting them where they are. And then he says, if you die, you're trampling underfoot the Son of God, rejecting his blood, is unclean, and insulting the Spirit of grace, 
how much of a severe punishment will you see? So he runs these parallels. If you reject the law, then there's punishment for that. But what happens if you reject Christ? If you reject the very God who gave us all of this, the one who came as a baby, lived a sinless life and offered himself as a sacrifice for you, what will you face? They understood it here. The problem was, is they had rejected who Jesus was. But the Holy Spirit's effective, isn't he? The Holy Spirit is sent to convict hearts, to reveal the truth of God, to lead us to him. And, you know, even the worst of the worst can be reached. It's like, wow, you know, if you go back and you look through the lineage and, and the people that God picked, these people were not, we have this idea of moral superiority today. None of them would fall into that. If you, David, here's David, he checks out, you know, this woman on the other, and he, he takes her for himself and sets her husband up to be killed. Well, God can't use me. You don't know what I've done. Well, wait a minute. He's, Jesus is going to sit on the throne of David. It's not about what we do. We don't earn a spot because we're morally superior. And we become pleasing because of all of, of good behavior. You know why I'm pleasing to God? Because I'm in Christ and He's in me. Amen. And when I allow that to flow out, the behavior is a naturally beneficial behavior to those around me, and it honors the Lord. You don't do the behavior to become this. You realize who you become, and the behavior is natural. That's how it works. It's backwards. We've taught this stuff backwards. I would rather connect. Can you imagine? Shouldn't my heart be... To connect you into a living, vital relationship that I'm out of the way. Where you're communicating with the God of the universe. And he's communicating with you in the moment with the things that are going on around you. You're hearing his voice and you're saying yes. And you're experiencing these moments with him. And he's doing miraculous things in front of you. Like allowing people the freedom to be honest and safe and lay down their arms. And turn to him in faith, or at least contemplate it. Where sometimes we don't know why, but we just weep with those who are weeping and rejoice with those who are rejoicing because God is using us in that situation. Isn't that the goal? Instead of just getting correct behavior, God doesn't want puppets, He wants a relationship. You hear that all the time. We hear that all the time in Christian life today. And then we tell you how to have a relationship. And it's all surrounding behavior. You know, I loved what uh, uh, Luis taught on, on for men's, or, uh, men's breakfast. He brought. Oh, no, it wasn't uh, Luis. It was um, Dwayne. Dwayne taught on being silent. So we didn't talk all that much at men's breakfast yesterday. <laughs> But he taught on being silent and allowing the silence of let God speak or not speak, just being there with him. 
You know, you remember when you were first getting married and you just can't imagine not having anything to talk about. And then one day you're riding in the car and nobody's saying anything, but it's okay. That the silence is a blessing. Because I don't have to say anything. We're okay just being there together. Have we gotten to that point in our relationship with God? Or is it all 911? God, help me with this. God, fix this problem. God, do this. Can you do that? You know, can you make my life better? Listen to me. My life, I discovered real life at the cross. It is not His goal to give me an easy ride. It's not. Show me that in Scripture. If you show me, I will stand here and tell you I was wrong. And here's the verse and here's why. He said, in this world you will have tribulations. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. If the world hated me, it will hate you. And we don't want that. So what we do is we hide him. We don't let them know we're a follower of him. Because they'll attack us. And then we wonder where the power is today. Listen, the power is somebody who's completely convinced and in love, sold out to Jesus Christ. And we don't care if the whole world hates us because we know he loves us. And so we have to make a decision whether we love the world more than we love him. And we, in this setting, we would always know we love him more. Does our behavior say that? Does the re- our response to him say that? Because talk's cheap, isn't it? Talk, you ever heard somebody tell you something and not do it? Let me give you this one. I'm going to throw this one on me. Nobody, you do not have to raise your hand. Have you ever had somebody say, pray for me? And you're like, oh, I'll pray for you. And then you forgot to pray for them. I have. I'm sure you guys have never done that. <laughs> and so that's an area I have to work on. You know what I started doing when somebody says, pray, will you pray for me? Just stop right there and pray. I'll tell you what, if you're off praying in this sanctuary, when we get started with service, keep praying. Jesus said, my house shall be called the house of prayer. Don't ever stop that. Not here. You're not interrupting anything. You're doing what we're supposed to be doing. Let's get our eyes right. Listen. We have a decision to make. We do not want to face God having rejected his son. We do not want to face God having rejected his son. You ever been, you know what? I'll tell you, here's part of my story. One day I'll share my testimony. I sat in church and I remember being drawn by the Lord. I needed to be saved. And I sat there and I debated with God and I said, if they do it one more time, and then they didn't do it one more time. That happened twice. And so... The answer for me was, I'll wait. And the truth is, 
If I say I'll wait, I'm telling you no. That's a no. Not today. Even though I knew it was right, I mean, I was convinced. But luckily one day, I shouldn't say luckily, but thank God, He never gave up on me. And He'll never give up on you. It's never too late. We all carry all these things in here. And the enemy is really good at telling us how God can't use us. And let me tell you something. God could make me grow legs out of the top of my head and skip across this upside down if that's what he wanted for me. I could grow a third eye in my forehead and I would look normal. God can do that. We limit God and God can do anything. God could turn my hair white in front of you if it's for his glory. It's turning white anyway, but that's, you know, to speed up the process. Don't limit God. Don't limit him. So we have a decision to make for him, but we also have a confidence to live by. He tells them to think back to when they were enlightened. And so he's, some of them had received salvation. Some of them had come to faith in Christ. And he reminds them what that was like. He said, you endured great conflicts of sufferings through reproaches and tribulation and by your associations with those who were treated that way. So some of it was directed at you and sometimes you were treated that way because you hung out with these people. And you, so that what that tells me is they were not ashamed. They weren't ashamed to take a stand for Christ. Have you ever thought, well, I don't want to take a stand for Christ because, you know, people kind of know where my, my failures are. They've seen. Anybody here ever lost their temper? Other me. They're all on this side. Did you notice that? Did <laughs> you notice that? All of us. I'm glad I was standing over here when that happened. <laughs> We've all lost our temper. Anybody here ever said anything they wish they could have taken back, like as you were saying it? <laughs> right? Any of you from this morning? I'm not just kidding. <laughs> right? Things happen. And then the spirit begins to move, and we go, well, wait a minute. I can't say anything now. They saw that. They saw the ugliness. You know, because we kind of try to hide that, right? We get all prettied up. We want you to see the best side of us. And the truth is, when we rely on our flesh, it's ugly. And you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hopefully release you from that. When people say... When you hear that voice, well, they'll know, they'll know, they know what you, and that's going to make Christ look insufficient. No, that's why Christ is sufficient. Those are the reasons that I needed because I still fail. I still make those choices. Even though I don't have to, sometimes I do. And so let them bring the charge. Don't stop sharing the story. Don't stop preaching the gospel. Don't stop telling people 
because you messed up in front of them. Own it and tell them that's why Jesus loves me. In spite, and if he can love me in spite of that, even you saw it and he still loves me. Maybe he can love you too. See, what the enemy means for evil, God means for good. And so let's not miss our opportunities. He said that they showed sympathy to prisoners. Boy, prisoners don't get a lot of sympathy, do they? We kind of write them off as societies, you know, incarcerated. And there's not a lot of sympathy for them. You know, it was a decision that they made at one time. And you know, there's some of them that truly regret it. And there's some of them that are paying with their life for a, a moment of dumb decision. And these folks here, when they came to faith in Christ, they didn't compassion because they saw the person instead of the behavior. And that's the beauty that we see from God. He sees the person. He sees you. Not what you do. He sees you. That's what he's in love with. He tells them that they accepted joyfully the seizure of their property, knowing that they have a better position. That's kind of a tough one, isn't it? Yeah, you can take all this from me with joy. <laughs> Doesn't seem almost ridiculous. But you know what? You know what I found? We are way too tied to this world. Yes. We are invested here with all the stuff and garbage that's here. If you want to know how bad it is, Thanksgiving night, go down and ride by Best Buy. Do it. There's people camping out to get the latest technology. That's not evil in and of itself. But if we're allowing the world to control our behavior, then we miss the point, right? You know what I find to be true? Those same deals are available in the next two or three days. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever tracked that? Because Terry and I got up early once because we were going to do all of our Christmas shopping in like two hours. And we almost did it. And those same deals were available for the next two or three days. And I'm like, man, I didn't have to get up early. <laughs> I found out then that 5 o'clock came more than once a day. <laughs> and so we bought into this. This stuff and things. And you know, when I die, my stuff stays. Unless I've invested it in heaven. Why wouldn't I do that? Why wouldn't I take all of, why wouldn't I sell everything I have and invest? What if I could sell everything I have and reach one person with the gospel? Would you do it? Let me rephrase the question. Would you do it if it was somebody you were praying for, for salvation in your family? Get a little closer to home now.
realize this. What if it was somebody that wasn't in your family, but they're in somebody's family? And somebody's been praying for them. We're so tied to this stuff, and, and it doesn't even matter. The church is afraid to talk about money because they think that that, listen, I don't have to talk about money. Because you don't have any. <laughs> the earth and the fullness thereof belong to the Lord. If He wants what's in your account, He will take it. If He wants what I have, He'll take it. But He allows, He gives us responsibility over things as stewards. A lot of people don't even... That's not a word that's used a lot today, is it? This is, this is not meant to be a sermon on tithing. <laughs> but you know what the, who the steward was? The steward was the guy... There was a governor. It's an, it's, an, uh, it's an old English term. There was a governor and he was over a region. It's usually about the size of two counties as we know them today. And the governor lived in the nicest house. He was in charge of all of it. He owned it all. And the steward was the manager of the governor. He was the governor's manager. He managed all of it. And he lived in the second nicest house. <laughs> he didn't know any of it, but he was responsible for it. And that's how it works. And so as good stewards, we take that which is his, and we make sure that it reflects His glory. If we get our eyes right, we get our hearts on Him. If He moves you to do whatever, you'll do it. I don't have to cover that. If you're in love with Jesus, obedience is fun. Because you've never heard that one before. Obedience being fun. It is fun. It is fun. We think about obedience as something we don't want to do. But it's fun. So he says, therefore, do not throw away your confidence. See, they were starting to doubt. Or there, was, there was doubts in Israel because grace was different than the law. And there were those who were, had been saved and they were beginning to doubt. You ever had doubts? I have. Maybe, you know, three of us. I've had doubts. I wondered things before. And so they had doubts. But he tells them, don't throw away their confidence. He said, you're going to need endurance to complete the will of God for you. And receive what was promised. You know what's promised? Jesus. We're going to be in the visible presence of Jesus Christ. That's exciting. How many of you go right now if you could? I would. I would. Oh, yeah. I'd be like, <laughs> Jesus pulls up in a, in a bus out there. Not a church bus because it runs. <laughs> and beeps the horn. I'd be in line, man. Get me, get on, let's go. But why doesn't he do that? Why doesn't he just take us out when we're saved? Because we've missed the joy of discovering him, the joy of knowing him, 
the joy of participating in his journey that he has for other people, the blessings that go with that, we wouldn't get to experience that. And so whatever you do, don't walk away. Don't walk away. Finally, we see the role of faith in verses 37 through 39. The next, there's the, the next passage has a quote from Scripture. It's not a direct quote, though. It's uh, verse 37 and 38 appear to be built out of Isaiah 26, 20 and Habakkuk 2, 3. You hear a lot of sermons out of Habakkuk. Maybe we should do that. And the promise is this. If you go back and study, and you study context and all that. Jesus is coming. That's the promise. That's the beauty of the role of faith. Is we, we know that Jesus is coming. He's coming. You ever heard a preacher say that before anybody? Other than, well, you all have because I just said it. But other than this morning. We've heard preachers say that. And then Jesus doesn't come. And then another preacher says, oh yeah, and then he doesn't come. But I'm going to tell you, there's going to be a preacher one day that says it for the last time and Jesus is going to show up. Aren't you glad that the, uh, that this church? You guys are facing east. Yes. You guys get to see him coming from behind me. Mm-hmm. I just realized that awesome. that this church faces east. Isn't that crazy? God knows what He's doing. And so Jesus lives by, and it's interesting because He says that Jesus lives by faith, and if He shrinks back. The Father has no pleasure in him. Well, because without faith, it's impossible to please him. And then that, but that bothered me a little bit. Why does Jesus have to live in faith? Right? Stephen knows. Thank you, Stephen. Why does Jesus have to live in faith? You know, there's things, if you, if you study, well, specifically what's going on here, it's talking about the return of Christ, right? We're told in Scripture that Jesus doesn't know what that time is. The Father's the only one who knows. So he walks in faith, trusting the Father that he's going to tell him when the time is and he's going to return. Isn't that cool? Mm-hmm. And so Jesus required of him, what would he require of us? To walk in faith. So we're told that the righteous live by faith. And this actually preserves our soul. Because we don't give in to the doubts and the things of this world. It eliminates doubt and allows us to see what God is up to. See, our faith in God pleases him. And we're confident in how that's pleasing to him. So if we're going to move forward, we have to address some things. One, where is our hope found for eternity? 
Where is our hope found for eternity? Is your hope found in Jesus Christ? Or is it found in being good enough and doing the right things or hopefully that I'm, you know, I'm being obedient to God and, you know, that, you know, what happens if I sin in the moment that I'm dying? You ever heard that one before? What happens then? Well, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ and He saved you, that sin was removed as well. Isn't that cool? Some people trust in the, they go, well, what's the golden rule? Do we not know others? I treated people good. I had a friend. Let me tell you something. I had a friend that was excellent. He's better than I am. Well, that's not saying much, but he, he was good at really being good to other people. But if he doesn't know the Lord, he's not with him. We can't put our hope in things that aren't real hope. Two, sometimes we believe things for so long that when we learn the truth, if it conflicts with our long-held beliefs, then we have a hard time accepting it. Man, I believe this for years and years and years. I know because I went through it. I held on to things for, for decades that I thought were true scripturally. And then I begin to see things in scripture and I begin to try to fit them into that box. You ever done that? You ever try to force scripture? And you know it's not, something's not right, it's not fitting and you think you just dismiss it as your understanding. Or maybe it's not your understanding. Maybe it's this here. The length of time you hold a false belief does not make it true. Ladies and gentlemen, if you leave with nothing else today, I hope you leave with this. Seek truth. I don't care if you grew up Baptist. I don't care if you grew up Lutheran. I don't care if you grew up polka dot. Seek truth. The only reason I'm, I am what I am is because I think it's the closest to the truth that I've found. If polka dot was closer, I'd become polka dot. Polka dot Baptist Church. Maybe we should do it just to see if somebody... Well, then I'm still a Baptist church, right? New life polka dots. Because the truth matters. We're living in a day and time today that the truth no longer matters. Only winning matters. And lies are told to gain an advantage. And it's time Christians say enough. Because if we lose the idea of absolute truth or that truth matters, when we go and share the hope of the gospel with people, they're going to say, why? Because I have to surrender. Why would I ever do that? That's weakness. That's loss. A grain of wheat will never live unless it falls to the ground and dies first. Then it shall live. Three, this seems like an obvious answer, but it's, it's not as obvious as you think. Do you trust God more than yourself? Oh, sure. Really? Why wouldn't I? 
How come he's your last resort? How come he's the last person you talk to and not the first person you call? How come you don't pray to him first before you've tried all your solutions to see what he wants? I told you it's not as obvious as you think it is. Problem is, I have to go through all this first. It's really easy to trust Mark, and then when Mark can't figure it out, then we call on God. What if we stopped looking to ourselves first? And we started looking to Him to say, Lord, is there something I have that you want to use to solve this? This and tell him, this seems right to me, but it may not be what you're up to. Would you give God that space to be able to interject himself in your life or to do something that might be up to something that you got no clue about? Would you say God is smarter than you? I would. <laughs> well, I mean, smarter than me. And so why would I trust somebody less intelligent first before turning to the one who created the world? How come these things are this way or this is happening in my life? I don't understand it. Maybe that's because the Lord wants to see your faith. Because if we understand everything and we respond to our understanding, there's no faith involved. You can't have faith and full information at the same time. Faith is the evidence of things hoped for. We're going to get to that. The substance of things not seen. We're going to start into that next week. The hall of faith. We're going to decide how we're going to do this. Whether we're going to do each person or whether we're going to... We might only be in Hebrews 12 when you'll get back. <laughs> and so do you trust God more, to your, more than yourself? Or only when you've exhausted your resources? Listen. What if we trusted Him even if we had the resources? It's just a thought. You know, I was reading the story this week and it it may seem like this has nothing to do with what we're talking about but there was a there was a preacher and a worship leader who were in conflict and apparently that's not uncommon thank god we don't have that here no Stephen and I are in love with Jesus and we love each other and we encourage each other we're there for each other and I wouldn't want to be I mean Unity in your staff and the people that you serve with and the congregation is critical because it's our testimony to the world. It tells them that Jesus sent us. And so I thank God for Stephen. So this does not apply to Stephen in any way or to me. So these preacher and this, this worship leader, they were in conflict. Apparently that's not that uncommon. I hear about it a lot. When I was in school, I heard about it all the time. And the preacher preached a sermon on commitment and how we should move forward serving others. And after the sermon, the song leader or the worship leader 
sang the song, I Shall Not Be Moved. <laughs> the next Sunday, the preacher preached on giving and how we should gladly give to the work of the Lord. The song leader sang the song, Jesus Paid It All. The next week, the preacher preached on gossiping and how we should watch our tongues. And the worship leader stood up and said, and sang the song, I love to tell the story. <laughs> the next Sunday, the preacher was starting to get disgusted over the situation at his church. And he told the congregation he was considering resigning. The congregation then sang the song, Oh, why not tonight? <laughs> the following week, the preacher resigned and told the church that Jesus had led him there and was taking him away. And the song leader stood up and sang the song, Oh, what a friend we have in Jesus. <laughs> You're like, what on earth does that have to do with this? When, listen folks, alignment matters if you're going to move forward. These folks were not in alignment. They didn't move forward. They moved away. And if we're going to move forward in our journey with the Lord, we must be in alignment with Him. But so often, this pictures our relationship with Christ. I have my own ideas, even though He's telling me this. And as long as we continue to rely on our own ideas, instead of saying yes to Him, it may not be the perfect church. And if it is the perfect church, don't join it because you'll ruin it. But it may not be the perfect church. It may not be exactly what you're looking for. I see this all the time. We look back to a church and we have church experiences that we love and adore. Thank God for those moments. But if that's not where you are today, move forward with what God has called you to. You know, I'll never forget the first church that, that I served in a ministry role was smaller than my Sunday school class at the church that I attended. And I was like, this is weird. This is not church. And I took a youth group and I managed to whittle it down to one. And I, <laughs> and I said, I, was, I told the pastor, I said, you don't need me here. I only have one student. <laughs> He's like, no, that's why we do need you. And then God did some things in our life. We moved across the country back when all the nuclear plants were going to melt down in 1999. And we took some difficult situations there. And God worked. If you're looking for the perfect thing, the perfect thing to just drop in there, it doesn't work that way. It works. The perfect thing is when you see what God is up to and you join Him because He is the only perfect thing there is. And when we cling to Him and align with Him, the rest of the stuff takes care of itself. Didn't He say, if you'll seek first the kingdom of God... All these things will be added to you. My question to you and to me today. Is that what we're seeking? Are you seeking the kingdom of God? Are you seeking the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is what he's up to. Around us. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. I don't want to steal your thunder. Okay. She's teaching that in our, our, our VBS thing coming up.
And so are you seeking the kingdom of God? Or are you seeking for God to just make your life better? It doesn't fill seats, but it's biblical. And if I'm wrong, you show me. I tell you, if, I, if you show me, I will stand up here and say I was wrong. Because I'm not the authority here. He is the authority. I am under authority, just like you guys are. We're all under His authority together. Seeking Him, arm in arm, in love with Him and in one another. And when we do that, when we live that way, the world will know that God has sent us. That's part of our calling. And if God's called you to do it right, to do it His way... We welcome you. This morning I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes.